Hello lovely people and welcome to Transcendental Kink, a series of conversations and solo episodes exploring reflection and growth through kink practice. Who is this podcast for? It is for everyone who wants to experience life more fully, see the whole spectrum of color rather than just shades of gray, and actively living instead of just passing time. What is it about? It is about the human condition and how to make the best of it. It is about understanding and loving ourselves as a whole person, with every little part included. It is about developing curiosity, playfulness and joy, and ultimately transcendence from the drudgery of everyday life. Exciting news for the Transcendental King community. The book Transcendental King Exploration is out now. It is available in PDF and EPUB formats for people who like to read, and audio for the ones who prefer listening. Head over to transcendentalkink.com to download a copy. Whether you are a beginner, have been playing for a while, or have been living the lifestyle for your entire life, you will find something useful in this book. If you like this podcast, please give it 5 stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps with the charts. Thank you. This episode is supported by the club. Melbourne's only dedicated venue for events, alternative lifestyle education and community support. It is also supported by PM Leather, a female lead manufacturer of high-quality hobble belts and other leather play equipment. Hello lovely people and welcome to Transcendental Kink. It's so lovely to know that you are all still here listening to my musings and interviews. I am quite surprised that I'm still powering on towards season 3. I am obviously loving it, but it takes a lot of time and effort to create interesting content. Your appreciation and support are greatly valued and what keeps me going. So please do keep on listening, thinking, commenting and asking questions. There is a private and secret group on Facebook called Transcendental Kink Friends with Benefits, where we come to think together and plan our future. It is still very young, but I hope more of you will join us so we can have even more interesting discussions. The benefits include special offers, like free TK candles to anyone who can provide photos of them used for my website, and much more. So I am looking forward to seeing you there. I also want to thank all the people who came and supported us at the Osking Fest market. We really appreciated it, even if we haven't had time to chat properly. It occurs to me that it might be a good idea to have a munch. What do you think? Let me know. Now, I know that I said that there will be no break between seasons this time. But alas, so much is happening over here in Transcendental Kinkland. All very good, but a lot. So I might take a little breather and start the third season properly on the 14th of April. In the meantime, I'd like to present the topic for season 3 and invite you all to start considering these questions. If you have a few answers, please do reach out. I'd love to have a chat and perhaps record an episode with you. If you have ideas for different questions, please also reach out. This is a big and ambitious topic and I'd like to treat it properly. Your input is invaluable. 
Every season starts with questions that I explore in my solo episodes and through conversations with my guests. And season three, unsurprisingly, is no different. I have one big question and many smaller supporting ones. I will talk a bit about my questions today and invite you all to consider them with me. What is power? How do you get it or give it away? What does it feel like to have or not to have it? Does having power or not having it depends on other people? And if yes, how so? Is there just one kind of power or many? A long, long time ago, when the world was separated into only two genders and misogyny was accepted by everybody as normal, including women themselves, there lived a woman whose mere existence challenged everything known before. She didn't conform or rebel. Instead, she removed herself from society altogether, leaving behind the hopeless imbalance of the sexes. She sat alone in her dwelling and acknowledged her power that came from within and stayed within. She didn't feel a need to prove anything to anyone, compete or comply. She just was. Her name was Marguerite Porette, and she was burnt on a stake in May of 1310, in the main square of Paris, without uttering a single word for the 18 months of her imprisonment prior to execution. While she lived, the world around her was changing. Men were fighting for control, each using the scriptures to prove their points. Everyone acknowledged the scriptures as the only way to know what God wanted for his creation. But it was just a handful of men who interpreted the scriptures for the people, and each of them claimed their interpretation as superior to others. Men fought, as men usually do, by arguing their points in public, forcing their opinions on people they had control over, and persecuting the ones who disagreed with them. It was called the inquisitorial process, which only accepted absolute dichotomy in the world. That is, right and wrong, conform or die. There was no room for compromise or variation. There were the powerful and the powerless. The powerful justified their aggression by claiming the ultimate authority, God himself. They tortured, killed and burned everyone and everything that stood in their way. Villages and towns were destroyed, fields burned and sown with salt. People who resisted were executed. It was a brutal time, in which the only way to survive was to attach oneself to a person or a group who held the most power. Women, children and cattle were considered property and destroyed with the men who owned them. The decision who they belonged to was made by men who disposed of their women, children and livestock in any way they wished. From the cradle to the grave, women had just two options, to obey or die, and die they did, even if they performed their role perfectly. They died if they belonged to a man who had less power. They died if they were taken captive. They died because their husbands decided they should or just because. The only way out of this cruel cycle of ownership transfers was to choose to belong to God. 
All other life situations were not choices available to women at all. Every decision was made by men who owned them, their fathers, then their husbands, and their their male children. The only viable option for a free choice for a woman was to dedicate herself to God. Not to join an actual convent, but whether their life belonged to God rather than a man. Joining an actual convent required a dowry, and women did not own any money or property. Even if they inherited, their inheritance belonged to a man who owned them at the time. The only choice a woman could make was about her soul, and the consequences of that choice were either accepted or rejected, but at least they were understood by their family and society in general. So women controlled what they could. They controlled their souls through their own bodies. They fasted, stayed in bed, stopped bathing or sleeping or talking. This was the only sort of control they could exert over their lives, and they took it. In fact, during the 13th century, they took it in numbers that were greater than ever before. It might have been power in numbers, or just the example of some women influencing others, but stories about women achieving miraculous states of consciousness while performing amazing bodily feats were widely circulating at the time. And this is where the story of Marguerite comes in. She did something that challenged the status quo by writing a book that explained in great detail how to ascend from a status of a mere woman to a being that could be with God permanently and while still being alive. For that, she was burnt on a stake and all copies of her book were destroyed. All copies they could find anyway. Some copies remained and were transcribed by generations of monks. This is how we know what she wrote. Also amazingly, transcripts of her trial and conviction remain. And this is how we know she remained silent for 18 months, from her capture to her eventual execution. Why am I telling you all this, you wonder? Because her life and death were a prime example of a sort of power we don't often think about. When we consider the concept of power, we think about action. We think about the ability to go out and change something in the universe. This kind of power is active and visible and produces measurable results. While Marguerite lived, this was the only positive kind of power accepted by society and only appropriate for men. Women could not have this kind of power. It was considered prohibitive by the condition of their gender. If women exhibited any sort of desire to change something in the world, it was referred to as cunning, malicious, and unnatural. So everyone accepted that women cannot and should not have power at all. When women wanted to describe themselves in a positive light, they described themselves as weak, powerless, miserable in their gender, and of course, submissive to all men. Marguerite describes herself as such too, but her book exemplified a different sort of power. It wasn't the external and visible force that men employed. It was a power that came from within and stayed within. It was a power that gave freedom to its holder, by the sheer virtue of not needing anything external to validate it, 
The book Marguerite wrote told the story of ascension to a state where one could communicate with God and remain there for eternity. It was written as a detailed guide outlining seven steps of ascension, the thought processes that one must follow and the obstacles that would inevitably come and obstruct one's move from one step to another. It was an internal and static sort of power, not externally aimed and dynamic like that of men, but power nonetheless. The world we live in today has a very narrow definition of power. Static power that exists within and stays within is all but forgotten today. When we think of power, we think of the kind of power men had. It doesn't mean that we still ascribe a specific kind of power to any specific gender, although in some places in the world this is still the case. But in general, we think of power as something that goes out and creates direct change in the lives of others. It can be subtle, like that of an influencer, who affects by example. They would talk about some sort of a solution to a problem, or about a challenge they overcame, and attract a sizable audience. These followers would identify with the influencer and imitate their behavior or follow their example. This is a subtle change of behavior. But given enough followers, it might be made felt in society in general. More often than not, that influencer would then promote a product or a service which the followers would purchase, which would also create a change. A more direct kind of influence on behavior would be that of a teacher. They would be able to direct and to some degree control the behavior of the students in the classroom, affect their conduct among themselves, and perhaps at home, encourage and discourage certain habits, and of course, impart knowledge and learning skills. A more exhibitive kind of power would be that of a state or a country. They have the power to enforce laws and regulations and to detain transgressors. The police and the legal system are intentionally visible in their exercise of power and aim to deter people from breaking the law by exemplifying the kind of punishments that would follow. And on the extreme side, there is the army that has a quite literal power over life and death, according to the laws of the country it represents. All these are quite active and visible. The changes they are trying to make are stated fairly explicitly, and their results are exhibitive and measurable. When there is resistance, a confrontation will take place, until one wins and the other or others lose. Normally, we don't think of a static or passive power as power. We give it other names, like confidence or self-esteem. However, this kind of power is possibly as strong or stronger than the active power. A person holding such power doesn't need to participate in confrontations, doesn't need to vie for external resources of any kind, and cannot be influenced or swayed from their course. They refuse to play the proverbial game, so to speak. A person like that represents resistance for someone who is trying to create an external and visible change. However, people with great internal power usually don't intend to resist or comply for that matter. They stand their ground, refusing to engage. The thing is, except for very few individuals, no one possesses absolute power whether internal and passive or external and active. 
we all have both to some extent within us. And when I say to some extent, I mean a vast expanse. Some people are almost all out, engaging, moving, attacking, and just always moving in the direction of their choice. Their energy is outward focused, while others are almost entirely internally focused and only rarely apply any energy outside of themselves. So far, so beautiful. Now let's see how all of this can manifest in relationships. All relationships between people can be schematically represented as arrows and circles. The arrow is trying to move the circle, while the circle is trying to remain in place, utilizing its mass. Mass here represents the amount of self-love, assurance, confidence, etc. that the circle person has. This isn't a power struggle that Susan Campbell talked about, or the emotional withdrawer versus the emotional pursuer that John Gottman talked about. This relationship dynamic hasn't been studied yet. It probably will in the next couple of decades, because people are changing, evolving, and relationships between them are evolving too. I am not a social science researcher, I'm a philosopher, and philosophy usually precedes social study. The relationship of philosophy to sociology is similar to that of science fiction to science. So I neither have the tools nor the skills to conduct a large-scale social research to prove this point. What I can do is ask questions and have as many people as possible answer them. Here are my questions. What do you think of when you hear the word power? How do you feel your own power? How does your power present in your relationships? Do you think that externally focused power is more compatible with dominance or submission? How are you affected by a power different to yours? Are you attracted or repelled by it? I will probably come up with more questions as I start asking these questions of my guests and hearing answers. Or my guests will present alternative perspectives. I seriously can't wait. And now, with the intention set for this coming season, I'd like to invite you all to start considering these questions. If you have a few answers or thoughts or comments, please do reach out. I'd love to have a chat with you and record an episode. All opinions are very, very welcome. If you have ideas for different questions, please also reach out. I'll sign off now and start preparing for some fascinating discussions. This is all from me today. Best of luck on your journey. Until next time, Red out. Thanks for listening to Transcendental King, a series of conversations and solo episodes exploring reflection and growth through King practice. If you like this podcast, please share, like, retweet and repost so that more people can find it. If you have a story to share, please get in touch. And if you haven't yet, please visit transcendentalkink.com to get yourself a copy of Transcendental Kink Exploration. <laughs>